Good morning, Chapel Hill. It's good to be in worship with you today. It's hard to believe, isn't it, that this September 11th, we will commemorate the 20th anniversary of 9-11. We will never forget where we were when we got the news of that. Am I right? And if you were too young to remember that event, it's going to be hard for us to convey the sense of horror and anger that the rest of us felt along with the entire nation uh, for this evil attack upon us. But I, I want you to use your imagination for a bit this morning. I want you to imagine that that was only the beginning. Those airplane attacks, that was just the start. Imagine if the powers of the world had seized upon the confusion of that opportunity to align themselves with our enemies and invaded our shores. Imagine if they invaded our town, broke into our homes, stole us away, herded us to Tacoma, piled us into a transport ship, and then shipped us across the land to a far nation in exile. It's incredible to try to imagine such a thing, I know, but that is exactly what happened to the Jews in 597 BC. They were attacked by the Babylonians, by King Nebuchadnezzar. He came in and pillaged the temple. He kidnapped the king and his court, and along with uh, the brightest and the best that the nation had, took them off 600 miles away into exile in Babylon. And if that story sounds familiar to you, it ought because that's the story of the book of Daniel. Remember, we spent weeks and weeks studying about Daniel, the subversive leader, this young man who, along with his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and others, were stolen away from their land and taken to Babylon, a place they did not know. They were held there captive. They were trained up. They were assimilated until God moved them into positions of enormous influence in the court of King Nebuchadnezzar. That's the story of Daniel. Well, the book of Jeremiah is the other side of that story. Jeremiah was also a prophet who was called by God, but he was called not to be carried off, off to Babylon. He was called to stay in Jerusalem after the Babylonian invasion. And in his role as prophet, he was called upon to warn the remaining residents that they had better get their stuff together that they had better turn their hearts back to the Lord or worse was going to come. And by the way, they didn't learn their lesson. Uh, Babylon, Babylon invaded 10 years later, sacked the city, utterly destroyed the temple. The people who remained in Jerusalem should have paid attention to Jeremiah's warnings. But his ministry was not just limited to warning the remnant who were in Jerusalem. Jeremiah also was called to bring comfort and encouragement to the people who were in exile. He did that by sending letters to them. This morning we're going to be looking at a portion of one of those letters. He sent a letter off to these Jews who were in exile in a place where everything was strange. The land, the language, the religion, their customs. It was all, all unusual, all strange to them. Now, if that was you, how resentful would you have been? If you were schlepped off to that far land, how bitter would you be? How brokenhearted would you be to be in that situation? And if that was you, how do you think you would behave? Their liberty had been stolen, their dignity, their privacy had been stolen and violated. 
If that was you, what would your attitude be towards your captors, toward your enemies? How would you behave in that situation? Well, Jeremiah's advice might surprise you. So turn with me, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter 29. Our text for this morning comes from starting with the verse, verse 4. Jeremiah 29, verse 4. Listen now to God's word for you. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. This is the word of the Lord. During World War II, Germany invaded France, as they did so many other European nations. They invaded France, and they set up the puppet regime, the Vichy regime, to do their bidding. But not all of France capitulated. There was an armed rebellion that rose up against the Nazis. It was called the French Resistance. The French resistance uh, was in part responsible for the success of D-Day and the ultimate defeat of Hitler. The resistance took up arms, they published underground newspapers, they provided escape networks for the allied troops who were trapped behind enemy lines. The French resistance did everything they could to subvert and weaken and destroy their enemy. So is that Jeremiah's advice? When he sent his letter to these Jewish exiles who had been kidnapped, forced to live in Babylon, did he encourage them to subvert, to rebel, to resist? Well, not hardly. Here's what Jeremiah said. Settle down. Settle down. Don't, don't live in your tents anymore. Build houses and live in them. Don't forage for food plant gardens and eat of the produce. Don't stop living. I want you to get married and have children. And I want you to give your children in marriage to each other and have grandchildren. I want you to multiply and grow and flourish. And then here comes his shocking summary. Jeremiah says, I want you to seek the welfare of the city and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Incidentally, that word welfare, every time it appears, it's actually the word shalom. That's what shalom means. More than peace, it means the goodness, the welfare of the city. Now, you would expect a prophet to stand up in the times like this when the people need some encouragement, to encourage them to, to look out for their own well-being, to care for their own needs. Even though they are in exile, you would expect that of a man of God to encourage them to make the best of this bad situation. But that's not all that Jeremiah says. He says, I want you to seek the welfare of the city. Not just your welfare. I want you to seek the welfare of the city. 
And you say, what? Wait a second. The city that is filled with our enemies? The city that is inhabited by our captors? The city of invaders who stole us from our land, stole us from our temple, stole us from our religion, our faith, our heritage, that group that forced us into exile, you want us to pray for and seek the welfare of that city? You're out of your mind. But that's exactly what Jeremiah says. Now why would he urge such a thing? By the way, he was one of the few voices that was speaking this, there were many other voices speaking a contrary. There were false prophets who would raise themselves up claiming to speak on behalf of God and saying that this was going to be short-lived and pretty soon the Jews would be back in their country and Nebuchadnezzar would be destroyed. One guy was named Hananiah. In the chapter just before this one, chapter 28, that's what Hananiah says. He says, listen, God is going to break King Nebuchadnezzar and within two years you're going to be back home. By the way, he paid for that false prophecy with his life. And it was a lie. It wouldn't be two years. It would be 70 years. They would remain in exile for two generations, not two years. And Jeremiah was saying, you might as well make the best of it. Now why? Why not resist Why not subvert? Why not do their best to undermine the enemies who had taken so much from them? Why not do everything possible to make life miserable for their captors, make them regret that they ever brought them home? There are two reasons Jeremiah mentions. First of all, he says, because God sent them into exile. God sent them. Now Nebuchadnezzar, the king, must have thought it was his idea, but as it turns out, he was a pawn in the hands of the Lord, as every ruler of earth is, a pawn in the hands of God. We read that in verse 4 when it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And just in case we thought he might have misspoken, in verse 7 he repeats himself again. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. In other words, you aren't in exile because Nebuchadnezzar willed it. You are in exile because I will it, said the Lord Most High. Why is that? Because they were a rebellious, ungrateful, sinful, wicked people. That's why. The chosen people of God. We talked about this last week. Remember the offspring of Abraham were supposed to be that tribe of people through whom God was going to bless the whole world. They were going to be the test case. God was going to show what it's like to live in obedience. And when you live in obedience and alignment with the Lord, you live life well. But again and again, they turned their back on God. They rebelled against God. They blew it. They became idolatrous and sinful. They even sacrificed their own people to the pagan gods. They burned their people in the arms of the gods, or their children, their babies. The baby that you saw baptized, they burned them in the arms of the god Molech. And finally, the Lord said, that is enough. One member of my life group said, it was like God put the Jews in a 70-year timeout. And that is exactly the case. And he was not going to bring them back until they learned their lesson. Until they remembered who they were and whose they were. 
And God figured it was going to take about 70 years to sort that out. So, Jeremiah says, I want you to settle down. I want you to live well. I want you to flourish and multiply. Because as angry as you might be, you are right where God wants you to be. I, our nation is experiencing a season of wrenching upheaval and division. Of course, we have a pandemic with which we have been dealing and surges that are coming and variants. We have worldwide saber rattling that is certainly getting our attention. Besides that, we are torn by racial unrest and by political poison. And frankly, by an attack on the foundational principles upon which this nation was built. Could it be that we, by our own disobedience to God, have brought some of this upon ourselves? Jeremiah is reminding the believers of an unpleasant truth. And here it is. Sometimes God calls us into a place of exile and pain so that he might redeem us back to himself. And as comfy and safe and protected and insulated as we might feel here in beautiful Gig Harbor, we need to understand that we are in exile too. The minute our spiritual parents, Adam and Eve, walked out of that garden of Eden, we, their offspring, were automatically in spiritual exile. We were separated from God. We needed saving. We needed redeeming. We needed a home coming. And we need to understand that this world at its best is not our home. Gig Harbor at its glorious best is not our home. Heaven, eternal life with the Lord, that is the home that our spiritual hearts really long for. And God is always calling his people back to himself. And so I dare say that our present pains as a nation are reminders of our exile. And the healing and the restoration of a nation in such a state will only begin when it's believing people are on their knees in repentance before the Lord. God have mercy on us if we, his people, do not learn this lesson. Because God is very patient in his discipline. So the first reason that the Jews were to seek the welfare of the city was because God put them in that city to teach them a lesson. Here's the second if the city does well, Jeremiah says, you'll do well. It sounds a little more self-serving, doesn't it? He says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. In its shalom, you will find your shalom. It is said that a high tide lifts all boats. Jeremiah says, if you live in a prosperous city, you'll have a better chance of prospering. It is in your interest, he says, that the city in which you live does well. And I don't know if there's ever been a more challenging time in America for us to heed this admonition about our cities. Some of the greatest cities of our country are degrading before our very eyes. Violence and looting and homelessness and rampant drug use and escalating crime and murder rates. The headlines are full of reminders that great cities like Portland and Chicago and New York are in a downward spiral. 
Our own Seattle, one of the most beautiful cities in the world, is in a terrible state of anarchy and filth. If ever there was a time for God's people to rise up in response to Jeremiah's call, to rise up and pray for and work for and seek for the peace, the welfare of the cities in which we are placed, this is that moment. Thankfully, our beautiful Gig Harbor and our beautiful Port Orchard, we are not yet experiencing the degradation of so many, but we dare not take that grace for granted. As the people of God, we must do everything we can to seek the welfare of our city, to pray for its welfare, to work for its shalom. And I dare say that by God's grace, we have been doing exactly that as a, as a community of faith. Over these last 16 months, they were hard months indeed, but Chapel Hill continued to seek the welfare of our city. In all kinds of ways. Every opportunity we had. We provided home room study centers for students who were desperate for community. One mom said, I think you saved my child's life. We offered Halloween and Easter door dashes to community families to replace the fun that COVID had stolen away. Through our Why Hope Week, our high school students provided 750 hours of engagement with local partners in the area of hunger and homelessness and immigration and poverty. We provided our parking lot for COVID testing and vaccinated more than 6,500 people. My doctor told me when he saw me, you tell Chapel Hill, there's no doubt you saved lives. Chapel Hill, beloved, has always been committed to the welfare of our city. Every building that we built, our gym, this sanctuary, our gathering place, our youth center. It was built with the interest of the city in mind. We never believed that they were just for us. We always believed that God had blessed them with us so that we might bless others with them. As a matter of fact, when COVID shut down the schools where nine of our local churches were meeting, we offered space free of rent to all nine churches so that if they wished, they could continue to meet for worship throughout COVID. It is in our DNA to seek the welfare of the city. When we came up with the phrase, beyond these walls, we didn't have this particular passage in mind, but we might have had, because all those building projects that I mentioned, well, we have, uh, uh, we, this saddled us up with uh, about $8 million in debt and half a million dollars of debt service every year. But with beyond these walls, we dreamed of eliminating that debt and 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 investing that half a million dollars into our communities and region year after year after year after year. And obviously you love that dream because in 2020, the most challenging year we have ever had, you not only funded our operations through your generous giving, you gave an extra 1.9 million to eliminate every last dollar of debt on this campus. And so our dream, and we really believe God's dream to seek the welfare of this city is becoming a reality. 15% of our operating budget, whatever it is. By the way, in addition to the 10% that we already commit to mission, 25% total, 15% would be invested annually in ministries beyond our walls, and we have been working hard to set that up. Turns out it's actually pretty hard work to give away half a million dollars every year. 
It actually takes some effort, some planning to make sure that you steward every dollar really, really well. And so your session and the team has been working on that, developing protocols and processes. And if you would like to see a summary of their work, I urge every single one of you to grab one of these Beyond These Walls brochures back at the wood wall when you leave. I think it will be very, very exciting for you. But I want to return to one example that Pastor Julie mentioned earlier of our Beyond These Walls partnership that we are particularly fond of, and that is Fish Food Bank. This venerable Christian organization has been serving our region for 45 years, but they had outgrown their rented facility. They needed a new purpose-built facility to carry on their ministry for the next 45 years. And because of your generosity, Chapel Hill was able to make a, a lead pledge of $100,000. I think it was one of the earliest lead pledges that came. And it was inspiring to others to stand up to match that. In, you know, on the screen, you'll see some video of the, the groundbreaking that took place recently. It's behind the Hayuhihi, and this is the groundbreaking for that new fish building. We, our own elder Spencer Hutchins is the chair of that committee. And during that groundbreaking, he announced the great news that Fish had raised $5.4 million of its original $8 million goal. So they have $2.6 million left. That's great news, great progress. But when our session heard it, our elders heard it, they said, let's help close the gap. We can do more. And so I'm very pleased to tell you this morning that our Beyond These Walls commitment to Fish the building campaign for fish has been increased. It was $100,000. It is now $250,000 that we will give to the work of fish in our community. And if supporting an organization like fish is not seeking the welfare of the city, I cannot imagine what is. I hope that you are proud of that partnership. And I'm telling you, it's just one of the stories that I'm going to tell you in the coming weeks. I am so excited to share more and more of what God is already beginning to do because of your faithfulness, your encouragement. And I hope that challenges you and encourages you to know the ways in which we are already as a church body seeking the welfare of our city. But I would like to circle this back around. I would like to make this more personal. Because I don't think Jeremiah's challenge was just to the church, to the gathering of the believers. I think it was to the individuals. It was one family, one person at a time that Jeremiah is calling out, I think. And so I want to ask you this personal question, aimed right at you. What are you doing to seek the welfare of your city? Do you pray for your city ever? You pray for the mayor, the council, the first responders, our other community leaders. Do you ever hold them up before the Lord? Is there any way in which you are personally engaged in our community? Are you on a committee? Are you running for office? And if not, why not? Are you helping someone who is running for office? When you see walkers, do you greet them as if you're a host or treat them as if they're hogging your sidewalk. When the kayak kids walk through with their kayaks on their shoulders, do you cheer them on for what they're doing and the, the good repute that it brings to our community? When you attend concerts, do you attend as a guest who's trying to grab your spot, or do you view yourself again as the host who's trying to make a place for someone else to share in a wonderful Tuesday night experience in our community? 
I think this matters to the Lord Jesus. He said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill. When we choose to love and serve and bless and pray for the welfare of the city in which we are living, we are obeying the call of Christ to be his witnesses in our Jerusalem. And we are pointing our fellow citizens to the only Savior of our city, to the only one who can bring ultimate welfare, shalom, and blessing. So Lord, I thank you first of all for the heritage of this church. We are inheritance of that. We are heirs of that. But I thank you, God, that we are seeking to carry on that commitment, not to look out only for our own interests, but to see ourselves as stewards of, custodians of, guardians of the welfare of our city. I pray every single one of us would sense that in a deep and personal way, and that we would allow your spirit to convict us about the ways that we ought to be serving, that ought to be greeting, ought to be blessing, to bring the welfare that you long for this city to have. God, we acknowledge that this isn't home, as beautiful as it is, and as tempted as we might be to rest here, to think of it as home, this is not our ultimate home. We are still in exile. But Lord, it's not a bad exile. And so until you call us to that perfect home, which you intend for us to have, would you make us more and more the protectors, the seekers of the welfare of our city because Jesus would have it that way because Jesus empowers us to do so and we pray this in his name Amen Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. Our worship services are Sundays at 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30 a.m. We'd love to meet you. To learn more about Chapel Hill and find out about upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.